This is Terms of Reference. I'm your host, Stephen Laddick. Elsa Marie De Silva is the Managing Director of SafeCity.in, a website that uses crowdsourcing to identify locations where women have experienced or witnessed any type of sexual harassment. Elsa Marie is an experienced aviation professional. In 2003, she made a career switch in order to improve the lives of women, youth, and senior citizens through awareness, interaction, and education. She's also trained in both directive and non-directive counseling. Elsa Marie is a Vital Voices lead fellow and an alumni of the Swedish Institute. I spoke with Elsa Marie in Mumbai. Hi there, Elsa. Thank you so much for being on the Terms of Reference podcast today. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be on. And where am I calling you today? I'm in Mumbai in India. Okay. I hope you know, you're on the other side of the planet for me, so I hope that the weather's well for you over there. Yes. It's pretty good out here. Elsa, we were turned on to you by your initiative at Safe City. Why don't we start by, uh, you know, can you tell us what Safe City is and uh, you know, what, it's initi- what the initiative is and what it plans to uh, achieve? Safe City is a crowd map that documents personal experiences of sexual harassment and abuse in public spaces. It collects stories or experiences that people report of what happened to them and organizes this data at the back end, which then shows up on a map as hotspots, which also identifies location-based trends. So that's what we do. You can check our website at safecity.in, and you'll see a lot of reports that we've collected from all over India and Nepal on people's personal stories. So when they do report, they can do so anonymously by sharing what happened to them what time did it happen, and the location where it happened. If they choose to leave their name and email, that's totally optional and is not seen on the front end of the site. What's your role with this? Are you the, you're the founder? You're, this was your, your concept, your baby, or were you an investor? I'm one of, the, uh, one of three co-founders. There are three women who started it, and I manage it full-time, so I'm the managing director of Safe City at the moment. Let's talk about you for just a second before we dive into some of the more uh, intricacies of the of the uh, the service. I know that you spent a good deal of time as in a different profession as an aviation professional. What inspired you to to make the leap from that profession to this one? I was in aviation profession for professional for 20 years. I started off as a cabin crew and then I was a flight safety instructor where I I taught pilots and cabin crew safety and emergency procedures. And then I got through a management program, which was an internal one, that took me into the strategic side of the business, that is revenue management. I then joined another company, another airline, uh, in their startup phase, and I ended up being vice president network planning, where we planned the route network for the airline. And about two years ago, this airline uh, underwent financial difficulties and went into a downturn. And I had to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do with my life, whether I wanted to take up another corporate job or, um, you know, pursue what I think uh, was one of my dreams to do something on my own. It was also at that point in time that I was selected uh, for a management program by the Swedish Institute that they have for India. And the program was focused on uh, corporate social responsibility. 
and it was there that i met my two co-founders and we started to discuss various issues that we were facing in india and we decided to work together on women empowerment we also heard about a similar initiative where people were crowd mapping sexual harassment in egypt and we thought what a cool idea that was because we had faced sexual harassment and it was quite relevant to us but we thought it would be our second project after we had launched a mentoring platform for women but when we returned from the swedish program to india there was a rape in india this young lady was brutally raped and beaten to death and this shook the whole country it angered a lot of us and we felt you know the mentoring platform could wait but we needed a solution for safety and security of women and that's what propelled us to launch this platform how long has the platform been online it'll be 2 years at the end of this month we launched on 26 december 2012 And what's the what's the user data look like is it really ramping up quickly or are you still looking for ways to get the word out for it to take hold Yes you see in India we have several issues one is that women don't really talk about uh, sexual harassment or uh, atrocities that they face so even if they were to know of this platform it takes a bit of cajoling to get them to share their stories second is India is a very large country it's a subcontinent so you know we have managed to collect several stories from uh, different parts of the country however we still need to make ourselves known throughout the country for it to be really uh, at the top of mind recall mhm and i i see women can or anyone can interact with the site you know using multiple methods uh, twitter uh, email phone calls these kinds of things what's the way that people are most interacting right now actually the most interaction has happened with our on ground volunteers so one is people can go to our website and uh, you know place their reports the other social media we do have a very active social media presence on facebook and we have a curated account on twitter we've designed safe city in a participatory way where people can share what they're thinking about the issue because it's really very personal and sensitive to several people so we want them to use this platform to express their views and opinions on the subject the other is we have volunteer teams comprising of young college going youth who in turn go to other colleges and high schools and talk about sexual harassment they may put up uh you know street plays or they may be part of another campaign that is happening or a you know college fest that is taking place but uh, they talk to young people get their reports as well we also do workshops for different age groups and our workshops are designed to educate and inform on the topic as well as the rights personal rights and the laws of the land on sexual harassment and then we do a very interesting bit which is called taking a stand where we challenge uh, culture norms attitudes and stereotypes that exist mm. do you find <laughs> that it's important that you stay focused on india and you said nepal as well at this stage or does that give you the ability to be more location specific and relevant to individuals we are focused on india safe city is focused on india nepal 
you know i attended a program and this lady in nepal was struggling to you know keep her project called the pink bus going pink bus is a women only transportation and there is a serious issue in nepal where women do not have enough transportation options and the ones that they do have are severely overcrowded making it unsafe for them to travel in so when she, when we discussed how uh, you know safe city could help we said you can start documenting all these experiences that people are having and once you have a certain number you can then use it to lobby for your change mm-hmm. so we don't we just offered our platform we don't really do any physical work in nepal the work is being done by uh, seew nepal and team and we just help them with the data analysis so in reality our platform is being used by them and we are physically just focused on india okay in in essence could that platform be used by other countries anywhere in the world as sort of a licensing option yes not licensing option i mean uh, you know i'm part of the vital voices uh, lead fellowship network as well it's a women only uh, leadership uh, group and some of the other women's organizations in africa expressed an interest that they would like to also use the platform so i offered the platform and i said if you can use it as is with very little technological changes then there's no cost to me and there's no cost to you and you can just use it as is to document and if if we if you need help in data analysis we can help you with that otherwise we can give you a data file every um, you know on a frequent basis and you can do the data analysis at your end itself but it's important to document and it's important to start this process so that you have evidence when you do want to bring about that change or you want to support any kind of application or support any kind of campaign and so they said well uh, we don't have the money to ask for any technological change and we'd be happy to use it as is so you know they started using it and that's how you know we helped them and they you know it kind of works for them sure and so very organic how did you build it what you know you and your two co-founders had this idea when you were in Sweden or was it Switzerland sorry and you you came back with the idea and then did you outsource the technology are, are your co-founders IT professionals what was that process like so none of us are IT professionals but we had heard about like i mentioned we had heard about this uh, similar platform in egypt and when we got back we kind of researched it they use open source technology called ushahidi so because it's open source it's easily available and luckily for us at that point we had some uh, friends who uh, came forward to pitch in on the tech part of it and uh, this friend of ours put it together and he hosted us he still hosts us on his own server so okay. he runs his own uh, tech company called uh, media's view and he uh, you know went out of his way to help us on this that's fantastic i'm i'm thinking right now about some of the potential controversy with this type of service i you know i'm looking at the map online right now on on safecity.in Have you received any pushback from localities as they become a quote unquote hot spot for uh, sexual harassment or or, or incidents <clears throat> as they're reported or do you do you foresee that becoming a problem in the future? So at 
the moment we haven't received any pushback from anyone you know whether individuals or whether communities or administration i think people you know kind of i think the idea resonates with people because a you know when you, we talk about what we are doing they all think it's a good idea and the idea is basically to make this information available so that you can stay safe we believe we are in the preemptive space where we are giving you information so that you can make the most informed choice for your own safety so for example if you knew that you were going to a location that other people had reported as prone to a particular type of sexual harassment then you you could decide whether you wanted to go by a train or bus or take a more expensive option like a cab you could decide what time of day you wanted to go if you were more comfortable going during the day as opposed to the night if you still had to go would you go with somebody else or would you still go alone you know even what kind of clothes you wore because you know that could be a way to keep you stay uh, safe not that we are saying that you know if you wear certain type of clothing you're more prone to it but this is india and you have lots of different cultural contexts you know you have religion you have culture you have caste you have class you have ethnicity so keeping all that in mind when you hear and read about other people's stories you can make the most informed choice you know mhm definitely and then as a community as a community if you were living in a hot spot do you want to change that do you want to do something different do you want to involve your neighbors or get get people around you to also make that change or put pressure on the police to make that change so we are giving you that kind of information which earlier you probably would not have had or it may have been anecdotal you know two part question here how do you measure the success of safe city india over time is it just is it the number of reported incidences or is there another needle you're trying to move in terms of as you just described a community saying hey we're getting a lot of reports and we want to do something about this what how are you expecting to measure your success so combination of both so one is the reports because it's not easy to get people to report and share their stories so now we are finding that people are willing to talk about it and come forward the second is these little actions of change you know so from where you know you have people on a report commenting to say that So I'll give you this one example. This lady in Bangalore, anonymous reporting, she reported that she had to cross a particular stretch to get to her office every morning, and that you know she had to pass by a group of men who were intimidating people. And there was this other guy who wrote on that post to say that his office is nearby, and should she need any help. she could give him a call and he would have his office boy accompany her through that stretch you know so wow. now those that's, kind that's of real time one on one interaction that's fantastic yeah or you have uh, people on facebook like when we post we try to use facebook as our platform where we showcase the work that we are doing in uh, we are doing on safe city as well as if there are reports certain reports that have come in or current issues you know like what has been picked up in the media so now we we do a lot of workshops and now we have people writing in to say can you do a workshop for me or can i attend a workshop you know because oh how do i talk to my child about sexual abuse 
So now you have people coming forward and also in addition to that then you have people who want to take up little local actions for change. So for example in a suburb in Delhi you have this lady who's very interested in uh, using data first of all mapping the issues in her community and then involving the right influential people to bring about that change. The other is working with an NGO in another part of Delhi. They work in low-income neighborhoods, and we already did workshops for the girls in that neighborhood. Now we are going to be mapping with the girls the uh, safety of that area, and then with the NGO, we lobby for change either with the police or with the municipal authorities or with the community themselves. You know, because ultimately the community has to decide what is the solution that they want for themselves. We cannot dictate that for them. The other is the School of Planning and Architecture in uh, Delhi. Their students are also urban planners. Some of them are urban planners. And this girl, there was one student who reached out to us because her thesis was on understanding what makes a place safe for women. And she needed our data because this data doesn't exist anywhere. And it helps her identify what are the unsafe areas. And she's picked one of the top three areas in Delhi. And now she's going to do a reverse study. How can it be made safe from a women's perspective? Mm -hmm. You know? And then you have another group of people, law students, from a different area in Delhi who reached out and said, can you help us map the area and understand this area better so that we can then drive change as part of their own project. So that's how, you know, we are helping different groups of people, whoever needs our data, to bring about change. And then we have the workshops, which is a more direct feedback through the feedback form, you know, like did they know anything about sexual harassment before the workshop and now do they know it better? Did they know the laws before and after? And why do they want to report now on Safe City as a platform? Or would they like to attend another workshop? Or would they like to volunteer with Safe City? So we measure all these things because I think that's very important to know, you know, would they be willing to talk about it mm -hmm. in future? How do you fund this thing? It sounds, you know, you have a ton of activity. Uh, I'm sure that you have lots of volunteers, but, you know, India is a pretty big place. There's, there's, I'm sure there's more than enough work to go around. How are you keeping the fire on? <laughs> Funding is always, uh, you know, a very sensitive topic. So for two years, you know, it's been self-funded. And uh, to be very honest, in terms of, you know, actual money spent, it's been very little. I mean, not counting the compensation of my time and effort. But otherwise, we've had tremendous support from people around where they've contributed in skill, time, effort, technology. So we've not really had to spend too much of money. You know, the whole of last year, we were just observing the space. And this year, we started the registration process for our entity. It just got completed at the start of November. And now our revenue model is based mainly on workshops or sponsorships from corporates. So uh, we are starting to get the money in. It's not yet there completely to sponsor my time and effort. But at least we have two people on payroll as of last month. And their salaries are being covered by the revenue that is being generated by the workshops. 
So I think I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but yes, that's how we funded it so far. Yeah, sure. And that's, that's always the most difficult question for any new initiative, especially a social venture like this. So for you in particular, are you, uh, you seem to have your finger on the pulse of pretty much everything that's going on right now. Are you spending your time mostly fundraising? Are you giving workshops? Are you doing administration? What, what's, how do you split your time up? So this is a startup and this is an NGO. So one ends up doing a lot of everything. So yes, I conduct workshops and I spend time fundraising and I spend time uh, doing the, you know, paperwork as well. But, you know, I was a part of the startup team in the airline, uh, the second airline that I worked with, and we did pretty much the same. So I guess if I put in the same effort for my own organization, I'm going to benefit at the end of the day. And it doesn't bother me, but yes, the, right now we are in startup phase and all of us are, you know, are pitching in and doing things that we would normally not, you know, always like to do. That's okay. So what what do you think? You've, you've just sort of described how your revenue model, you see it shaping up. You clearly have a, a number of activities and you're even starting to receive lots of great stories about how this application is affecting individual lives and total communities. What does this look like five years from now if you're successful to you? Where, where are you going and, and where's the organization going in five years? It's always a very difficult question to say what will happen five years from now. But our vision is that to be the one data repository for information on safety of locations. So for example, today, if you wanted to watch a movie or read a book or go to a restaurant or book a hotel, you know specific websites where you can get reviews on all these things. And you would, you would most probably base your decision based on those reviews. However, when it comes to safety of an air, of a location or an area, we don't have that kind of intelligence or that sharing of information easily available. At the most, you would have an advisory at the country level from your embassy or whatever. But uh, it doesn't really tell you the true picture of what's happening on ground. And we are trying to create that database. So I would say five years from now, I would like to be the trip advisor of safety ratings of location. Wow, that is bold. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> a couple, just two more questions. One of them may be a little more difficult. This has been so far a two-year venture for you. As with every, not only startup, but every NGO, there's hiccups along the way. When when was the last time you completely failed in, in, in this venture? Either made a wrong choice or, you know, something didn't work out or a workshop just didn't go the way you wanted to. And how did you learn from that experience and, you know, do better the next time? So we started off completely as an online platform. We received, because of the angst at that point in time, we received a lot of positive feedback and, you know, a lot of media attention and stuff like that. But, you know, slowly we realized that you cannot only have online presence. You do have to have an on-the-ground presence as well. And that's how I think six months later, after we launched, we started to to seek out volunteers and started our on-ground program. Then working with volunteers is not also very easy, you know, because uh, they have exams or they may get distracted. And honestly, they have 10 better things to do than giving their time to a cause. Fortunately, we've been very lucky to have some 
few key people who were really passionate and i think it's because of the issue you know they identify with the issue and some of them have been abused as kids so they really want to give back and uh, we were fortunate that they chose us to uh, you know spend time with uh, secondly we realized that when you work with very young people you have to give them the flexibility to design their work you know in the way that they would uh, like to so you know while the issue is a little serious and heavy yet there's no harm if they enjoy what they do or they have a little fun doing it so we allow they've done freeze mobs flash mobs they've done uh, street plays and they've done uh, video interviews on ground and they um, they enjoy doing all those kind of things so i think you have to be flexible enough when you work with young people and unlike a corporate uh, setup you know you like in the corporate uh, world you have deadlines that have to be met and you you know you're always pushing yourself to to meet goals and stuff like that in the social world it's a bit slower <laughs> and it took me a long while to re- recognize that it was frustrating in the beginning but then now you know i keep the broader picture in mind and i don't uh, get really upset if things don't go as per plan my last question is one that i that i ask every uh, guest here on the terms of reference podcast you decided to make the leap to being a social entrepreneur and and essentially working to help others after a successful career in aviation what advice would you give to others who are either similar to yourself who are looking to make a transition or someone as you say you work with a lot of young people who want to make this type of thing their career is there a bit of advice that you'd put out there as critical yes i think there are a few things that one needs to keep in mind one is you know you have to have a strong financial uh, financial and stable uh, nest egg i would say before you take the leap because the salaries are pretty low and if you are the founder maybe it will take you a while before you can see any money coming your way personally second is choose what you wish to focus on because choose it very carefully because the issue is very very important you cannot start work on an issue and then because you lose interest you give up there are a lot of people who depend on you so choose your issue very carefully and third is you have to be patient because unlike the corporate world uh, things have their own time and pace over here so um, you have to be cognizable about of of it you know elsa thank you so much for your time today i really really appreciate it this has been a fascinating talk <laughs> thank you very much i enjoyed it too You've been listening to the Terms of Reference podcast from aidpreneur.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes.